and welcome to the Fleet Geeks podcast. We're here to help develop fleet and transport professionals. Do you want to progress and develop your skills and knowledge? We promise to bring lively conversation and debate around interesting issues and keep you bang up to date with changes in our awesome industry. The Fleet Geeks are a community of professionals and if you enjoy the podcast, why not join the discussion for free in the Fleet Geek community over on Facebook. Excellent. So the red light is rolling and uh, the recording started. Uh, hello, listeners. Uh, thank you for joining us today and tuning into the podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have Lisa Dawn join me today uh, for the podcast. Hi, Lisa. And um, I, we're going to be talking today. Well, well, she's actually fantastically. She's agreed to do. Well, hopefully she'll carry on agreeing to do it after this first one. Hopefully I don't make a mess of it. Um, but she's uh, she's kindly agreed to do um, three podcasts for us. Uh, recently uh, in November and just dating listening to this, I suppose, is that um, uh, uh, Lisa and I met at the Chartered Institute for Logistics and Transport. Um, start, uh, we met at the Transport and Safety Forums uh, event, which was the 10th anniversary. It was super exciting. We both got to meet uh, Princess Anne, which was absolutely amazing as well. Um, and uh, Lisa shared an absolutely fascinating uh, discussion around uh, skill fade workload and driver distraction, which was part of a project she was invited on by Carl, who is the fleet director for Travis Perkins. And he's also part of the committee like myself for, for organizing. So um, Lisa, I feel like I've waffled on a little bit and not given you the opportunity to talk. It isn't always like this, I promise. Um, but thank you for joining me, first of all. And um, I realize I'm calling you Lisa a bit. Should it be Professor Lisa? Is that correct? <laughs> no, please. That would make me feel very uncomfortable. Just call me Lisa. Just okay. Okay. Cool. Um, Lisa. So Lisa is the associate professor of driver behaviour at Cranfield University, and um, has been doing some work with Travis Perkins, like I mentioned. So, um, Lisa, are you able to just tell me a bit more about the backstory that sort of led you into becoming the, your current role, and then also how that led to the work that you've been doing with Carl, which then led on to the event, I suppose. Okay, so how do I summarise 35 years of research and <laughs> career, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, in the next 10 seconds? Um, very briefly, uh, my PhD was in driver behaviour and, uh, and then I worked uh, various postdoctoral appointments at various universities around the Midlands mainly. And, um, and then I had a senior appointment in industry and um, and then my present position at Cranfield University, head of the driving research group, uh, was uh, started in 2001. So I've been working in the field of driver behaviour since the 1980s. And um, so it's a, it's a long, long career. Probably for the last 20 years or so, I've particularly focused on fleet driver behaviour and um, established a kind of methodology around assessing driver behaviour and providing interventions. Um, more recently, I'm working on automated driving and the problems associated with um, driving vehicles with the new technology and how people adapt to that. Yeah, wow. That's... <laughs> It's just mind blowing, actually, um, the the work that you must have done over this period, and 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 also the evolution of driving, I suppose, as well over that period of time as well. So what you've started with has as no doubt no doubt changed and evolved over that period of time. 
So um, with regards, so initially, what what sparked your interest in in driving behaviour originally? If that's okay, what what what, what sort of uh, what was that thing that piqued your interest to go? I'm going to go for this as a career. That's an interesting question, and funnily enough, I've not been asked it an awful lot. Um, it actually came out from a major piece of research that came about sort of like the early 80s, where it was found that human behaviour was the main contributor to crashes. And there was a recognition in the UK in the early 80s that actually we don't have any psychologists that understand driving behaviour, and yet it's becoming a, kind of the most complex skill that you'll ever perform during the day and so there was a huge amount of funding that was put forward and various universities including my own were successful in that bid and um, so my research was funded by the government um, to um, investigate some of the basic psychological principles around why people drive the way that they do and the motivations and so on absolutely fascinating and i love i love how you explain something that's so in depth quite succinctly as well that's very very well practiced that must be lisa um so i the fascinating thing i took away from what you've just said which i think will really it's something that i just want to point out for for the listeners who are fleet and transport managers right so you've just said that the most complex task that somebody's going to do right but driving is deemed as a low skill role. Now, it, essentially, we've got pedals, we've got a steering wheel, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously, I'm, I'm, I assume that's because of the, the complex world in which a truck then operates in, which is other people predicting other people's behavior, those kinds of things. Am I, am I on the right track, if that makes sense, in where my head's going? Yes, you are. And, um, you know, when I talk about complexity, I'm talking about the various layers involved and just starting with a psychological layer, um, people's um, ability to perform quite a complex skill. Um, you know, if you take your mind back to when you first learned to drive, it was incredibly difficult. You know, you're having to coordinate your hands and your feet. You're having to use your eyes um, very carefully to monitor what's going on around you. But most importantly, you're having to make very rapid decisions, you know, via your kind of complex, you know, brain to, to try and determine what's actually happening. And then you're having to execute a, a decision and, and a manoeuvre. Um, and, and so that's the psychological layer, which is in itself, you know, quite complex. And then you layer in, you know, organisational pressures, the traffic system and the demands that are placed upon you, you know, driving a, a large vehicle, especially in a built up environment where you've got vulnerable road users and, you know, perhaps you're in a, an unfamiliar environment you know, traffic demands, it, 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 you know, the complexity is such that you're having to make a lot of decisions um, constantly. And, and that's a huge workload for um, truck drivers. 
absolutely fascinating so and 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 absolutely to totally totally agree with you so um just um because it, it will have piqued the interest of the listeners are you able to tell them a bit more about the work that you did with with travis perkins where you did a particular study with them sure so um travis perkins plc commissioned me to investigate three broad areas and today we're going to talk about the workload one and then in subsequent ones we'll talk about the other two skill fade and um and distraction but um the three pieces of work that they asked me to do was to thoroughly investigate the academic literature and any related literature that would help them to understand um, some of the three, uh, what, uh, one of the, the, each of those three areas in great detail around how um, the evidence can help them to inform the way in which they manage the risks for their fleet. You know, what, what does the evidence tell them that they need to do to design the procedures and the policies and the practices for managing risk across those three areas. Fantastic. And that, you know, sounds like an absolutely fascinating study and I'm looking forward to sort of uh, picking that picking that apart as we as we sort of go through these this podcast series. So we're going to start with workload, okay? So with um, when when it comes to workload when I start to think about transport operation, I think about some of the clients that I work with. I think about you know these pressures around the, the the time spent on the road um, and I think about the the different activities that need to be done um, I think about the loading and the unloading and then I think about a, a potential because one of the other things as an industry that we're really bad for and that is compliance says we're allowed 15 hour working shift um, because that's the EU driver's hours rules right and the 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 law says that you can do three of those in a week um and then the, it's okay because the others you can do 13 hour shifts um, and that's uh obviously a, an awful long period of time for someone to be operational in a role is that is that what we mean by workload lisa well it's one of the aspects of it uh you know let's just go back to those psychological demands because when, um, you know, psychologists have been studying the brain for, you know, about 100 years and they are fully aware of how long it takes the brain to become overwhelmed, um, where they can't process information um, any further because it's just literally um, too, too tiring for the brain. Um, and actually, you know, some of the research I've done in driving simulators, even after about 20 minutes, you see a performance decrement that people start to drift out of the lane, they start to, their reaction times start to slow. So when you're talking about hours and hours and hours behind the wheel, you know, I know from my laboratory studies alone that that is something that you cannot sustain without committing errors. Um, so, you know, what, what can you do to try and manage that risk? You know, how do you best provide um, support to drivers to be able to, to do the kind of very complex job of driving um, and ma manage to stay relatively alert and relatively calm? You know, it's a difficult task. 
yeah it is absolutely so it, and how how do you do that if that makes sense lisa how how do we best help support drivers with with this with this complex task that they've got to do for such a long period of time as well to try and keep them uh, keep them focused keep them safe well, yes absolutely and you know it, it it's very difficult because this is where the organizational layer comes in you know, because the, the, the company that you work for has, you know, enormous pressures and, you know, trying to balance the need for driving safely as well as the need to keep in business are, are, are often in conflict with each other. Um, so, you know, really when it comes, to, if I just talk about the psychological side of it now, um, one of the, the best strategies for making sure that we manage to be relatively satisfactory in our performance of this complex task is, is to make sure that we don't um, uh, have a sustained attention for any length of time that can lead to all sorts of problems like, like decrements in performance where the task is requiring you to sustain your attention perhaps in a very monotonous boring environment um, because naturally the brain will switch off it becomes lack there's lack of stimulation there's no interest alertness levels start to drift away um, so you know you have to think about the kind of route that the driver is is on some some routes have what's called passive fatigue associated with them where there is that tendency to have this low level of stimulation and people start to get bored and switch off and start distracting themselves with other types of activities and then there's this active fatigue that you're likely to encounter in a built-up environment with this constant stream and bombardment of of of, of events and, and stimulation effectively in this built-up environment that is causing you to suffer with a kind of a fatigue through excessive workload in a different kind of way um, so in terms of your solution you have to think about the environment that you're driving in you know some environments require um, increased levels of alertness, like, for example, driving on a motorway, driving at night for prolonged periods. Um, others would require some level of relaxation, you know, where there's kind of a built up environment where you're feeling quite stressed and tense. Um, so it rather depends on the, the, the kind of environment, really. Hello, it's Sharni from Flagship Partners. We are really proud to sponsor the Fleet Geeks podcast. If you need expert advice or training for your fleet business, make Flagship Partners your first choice. We are really excited to announce the launch of our Transport Manager Academy with expert development for fleet leaders. We offer fully accredited initial Transport Manager CPC training, CPC refresher and operator license awareness training, as well as mentoring, support and professional development beyond the qualification. Our vision is to develop elite fleet professionals. Yeah, got you. That makes that, that makes a lot of sense, to be fair, because I know personally from driving when I just drive in my car as normal and I travel somewhere, say I've driven for an hour, 
I have this tendency to to want to go for a walk or something, and that that really helps me, for example, just sort of regain, um, re, re re sort of gain my stimulus, I suppose, and just carry on. Um, but I think I, I guess one of the challenges is is that actually we we're pushing drivers to drive potentially in in a, in a changing landscape so one minute it could be i'm assuming like this motorway where it's fairly passive the yeah. vehicle does a lot of the work for you already because it's got the equipment with cruise control and those kinds of things and all of the additional drive raids which aid this this passive element but then all of a sudden you could be in in london and it's a very stressful environment you know anyone who's driven and i say london but you could add any city center in there really particularly if it's unfamiliar and you've now got you know just eaten uber scooters and um, all of that sort of thing sort of coming in and weaving in and out of traffic which can be very stressful so um i think i think the the question i'm leading to which is the the, the stark one that i think listeners will be asking is four and a half hours then sounds too long between start of driving to their first compliance mm -hmm. 45 minute break what are your what are your sort of thoughts around that yes it is it really is you know but this is you know the conflicting demand of what the organization needs and you know the personal strengths and weaknesses of of, of being you know a driver and well, you know, I think there are some various kind of strategies that you could put in place that would help you to be able to manage that uh, task. And, you know, you've mentioned one of them going for a walk, you know, actually uh, physical fitness really does help um, to alleviate stress and workload. And uh, the best thing you can do when you take a break is to go for a brisk walk, actually, because it will increase your levels of alertness and it will kind of restore some of the glycogen that you've lost in your brain through all the decision making that um, you've had to you've had to do. Um, and equally, so would, you know, having a good sleep hygiene where people get plenty of rest, you know, have a good seven and a half hour hours of good quality sleep at night. You know, having a good diet, you know, that's not full of, of snacks that are high sugar, high carb. Um, and more importantly, you know, just looking after your well-being, you know, and we we know at the conference when when I met you there, Peter, that, you know, there were there was a, lots of people there talking about well-being um you know that there is there's lots that can be done to support people and i talked about the health issues around driving a truck for a living that you're at much greater risk of developing all sorts of diseases and you know so it's in everybody's best interests you know that you're healthy when you're at work behind a wheel because that will not only help you to live longer and, and more successfully, but also reduce your risk of developing all sorts of stress related diseases. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I think um, I think what, what I think one of the things to, to sort of point out is is fairly obvious, and that is that a truck driver's lifestyle really doesn't align with uh, or generally speaking, I'm being very general, but it largely doesn't align with what we're, what we're talking about here, which is they it's unlikely they're going to go for a brisk walk. It's largely likely that they're going to eat, eat a service station crap when they do stop and, and nourish themselves and that 
ultimately they they probably don't do a lot on the well-being point of view so um I, I i think my next question is around for people listening that they they can you know that what can they do to really improve drivers and and the workload and help keep them safe is it to actually really go about actively promoting a healthy lifestyle for drivers is that is that sort of where we're heading well i mean obviously that's been done before and you know there's plenty of posters up in canteens you know and uh, and yet they're still serving them the, the pies and and mash um but uh you know it's really about understanding intrinsic and extrinsic motivations because what you're trying to do is to get people to buy into um the personal need for themselves and and start to get them to recognize the benefits when they don't need to do very much. It's amazing how the body and the brain will respond to relatively short bursts of exercise, 10 minutes. You know, everybody can spare 10 minutes a day. Um, you know, just very modest changes um, can have a massive influence. I think a lot of people put it in the sort of too hard to do bracket. Um, kind of thinking that they've got to be absolutely perfect and do everything you know to change their lifestyle but just quite modest changes an extra half an hour in bed at night at night an extra 10 minutes of, of, of a walk a day you know just just small baby steps really make a massive difference and and once you've kind of promoted actual activity not just a campaign that puts posters up or you know, tells people what they should and shouldn't be doing, you know, get them to experience it for themselves and support them so that you're, you're developing these intrinsic motivations. Uh, that's the way forward in from a psychological perspective. And, and I know that that works because, you know, decades of research in health psychology, getting people to stop drinking and smoking and doing things that are high risk, you know, it's all been incredibly successful in, in that uh, sphere of, of, of influence and there's no reason why you can't do the same with the driving population and you know I've I've made it my life's mission uh, the next thing that I'm moving on to is to do exactly that and promote um, this kind of um, the sort of psychological aspects of it um, trying to develop people's motives and help them with relaxation and uh, managing stress amazing it's you know you're absolutely right in the 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 campaigns and the posters and um you know that those kinds of things it's it, it's lip service essentially it is lip service and ultimately if we're going to drop change behavior I, i'm thinking of an, an amazing book that i read that really made a big difference to me and that was james clear's book on atomic habits i'm not sure if you read it at all uh, but I'm it's right a really really great book atomic habits is really really interesting and it's a bit like what what you're saying there which is so habits almost sound like they're forced and 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 sometimes sometimes they need to be forced from a from a well-being point of view but ultimately when you say about motivation is how do we become more motivated to do something and ultimately it's by someone having lived experience of the benefits of doing something so we've got to try and push i suppose push our drivers to 
go, do you know what? Why don't you park the other end of the car park and actually take that extra 200 yeah. meter walk? Yeah. Because that's going to be much better for you. Um, you know, why don't you not take the lift and take the stairs? Why do you? Yeah. And, and that's what you're saying, isn't it? It's in yeah. these minor adjustments of um, rather than rather, I'm going to stop for a snack and rather than having a packet of biscuits, I'm going to pick up a bit of fruit this time. And yeah. it's just those tiny little decisions that will start to have an impact over time. And then the motivation will come with it, won't it? Because it feels good when you do those things. That's right. And then that feel good factor will will sort of come with it. But like you say, it's not it's not a campaign, is it? It is it is actually convincing them to live this stuff and then reflect on the learnings that they find from it exactly and 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 it's known in in psychology as nudging a kind of a developing behavioral insights get people to recognize the value of doing these things and you know the feeling that of achievement that you get you know again that sort of intrinsic motivation that that helps us sustain a behavioral change you know rather than just a kind of a campaign that you know just people will do for after Christmas and then within three or four weeks it's all forgotten um this is yeah. a kind of lifestyle change but but just small steps manageable yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so I think and and I'm hopefully I'm not sounding self-indulgent to share in this but I I lost 20 kilos this year which was really good for me I was super chuffed with it but one of the big things that I had was I had this accountability where on a weekly basis I was having to share with somebody what I'd done, like almost like the calories I'd eaten and the things I'd done. So I guess that's not shaming me, but it's giving me an additional motivation because I don't I don't want to let myself down. And because I know it's ultimately only me that's being let down, but the benefit of having someone else sort of check that accountability really worked. And interestingly, taken from the book actually was uh, from Atomic Habits, was that so I'm a nightmare for biscuits. I love biscuits in the evening. I love a biscuit. And um, I would go and make tea or coffee for my wife in the evening, probably not coffee, more tea or what have you, but I'd make her a tea in the evening, which is like a nice thing to do. Go and make her a cup of tea, but the biscuits are in the same cupboard. So I'd go and I'd annihilate the biscuits whilst the kettle boiled. I'd just sit there eating. She'd never know the difference. She'd be like, I can hear the biscuits rattling. I can hear them rustling. But And I'd be away eating the biscuits. But just moving the biscuits out of that cupboard to the other side of the kitchen would, is just enough psychologically for me to go, I'm not going to bother walking over there. It was just too easy for me to just go, here's the biscuits right in front of me. You know, yeah. and that's um, that's that's part of it. And I think maybe... You know, maybe from a driving point of view is that if you don't buy the food, you're not going to eat that food. If you're going to stock up at the beginning of the week and you're going to take healthy stuff with you and maybe not take the cash that's going to go and, you know, the little bits of petty cash that you might do to buy that chocolate bar or what have you. It's yeah. those things where you set out with the intention. Sorry. These are all trigger points, you know, and you've identified a classic one there, you know, an environmental trigger. You know how you, you go into the canteen and there's a there's a open box of chocolates you know there's an open box of biscuits at this time of year you know it's there before you know it you can see your hand reaching for it and it's you know whereas um you know if you can remove those kind of triggers to the habit then you help to break up the habit and on average, it takes about 80 days, you know, to, to, to completely change behavior. 
um, you know, but it, but it, you start to see the benefit of uh, these daily habits within three or four weeks, how you see yourself as well, you know, as, a, as somebody that's achieved something. And, and, you know, so I think there is lots that can be done from taking responsibility for your own lifestyle, for your own responses to what's going on around you because a, a lot of the issues for drivers is that um, they get caught up in that those trigger points you know somebody's driving too close to them somebody's not letting them out you know uh, perhaps the managers you know being unreasonable you know and these are all trigger points you know what what are your psychological trigger points as well um you know and, and reflecting on those and you know how could you respond in a different way that would actually make you feel better and you know so it's not just the kind of you know lifestyle choices but it's it's the choices that you make when you respond to difficult situations behind the wheel as well yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love uh, I love how you've explained that, to be fair. That's um, I always think of the uh, E plus R equals O. So the event happens, which you can't control. You control the response, which then creates a positive outcome, ultimately, if you respond in the right way. Um, so it's about making making the choice around make, having a good response to whatever that that event is or the stressor that you're having to uh, deal with. Um, Lisa, I'm conscious of time and I'm, you're, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you on the podcast. Is there is there anything else you want to add? If people want to be in touch, get in touch with you, Lisa, to find out more or they're interested in working with you, how can they do that? Sure, just come onto my website at sidrivegroup.com. Um, I offer um, training courses for transport managers and health and safety executives and, you know, various um, people, driver trainers. Um, and yeah, the course runs every month. So do join me. I really appreciate that, Lisa. Thank you very much. And I'm super excited uh, to listen to the future podcast as well. So if you've enjoyed this one, please do stay tuned. Uh, there's two more podcasts on distraction and skill fade coming your way very soon right i'm going to end the recording there and uh, see you all on the next one thanks for listening thanks lisa for coming up appreciate that thank you i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did please share with your friends and colleagues too join us for free on facebook with the fleet geeks community for transport and fleet managers fleet geeks offers ongoing professional development networking and mentoring too so get in touch with me pete rushmer on any social media platform to find out more